What is up? Welcome to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. My name is Kate, registered dietitian and emotional eating coach. Each episode, I will bring you a motivational message or an inspiring guest to help you make informed nutrition decisions that fuel your life, not restrict it. Whether you are new to the podcast or an OG listener, thanks for spending this time with me today. Now, let's get into it. guys welcome back to the nutrition awareness podcast this is dietitian kate and i am really excited because today i am not just talking to the wall and to myself i actually have megan in the building with me what's up megan hey guys so you guys know megan she is the other dietitian i work with here at nutrition awareness and i'm really excited because the topic we are discussing today is how nutrition and your mood are related so how your mood can affect your weight And this is something that we talk a lot about in-house with clients, but we don't really read or hear a lot about it in the online podcasting space. So hopefully you learned something interesting from this episode. I think it's going to be a great one. You're going to love it. But before we get into the juicy topic, I wanted to remind you guys of the intermittent fasting freebie that we still have going. So if you've listened to other episodes, you've heard us talk about the intermittent fasting freebie. You just go to go.orlandodietitian.com backslash intermittent fasting. And if you want to learn more about intermittent fasting, you want to get some more information to see if it's right for you, we'll send you a free guide straight to your email. But if you've already gotten the freebie and you're like, I gotta have more. I just need more information about intermittent fasting. You know it's a good fit for you because it's a good fit for a lot of people. We just launched our Master Intermittent Fasting in 7 Days course, which is an online course designed to take all the guesswork out of fasting. It's going to teach you what fasting can do for you in a safe and sustainable way, guys. That's really important. And to get you the results that you want, such as better sleep, weight loss, and overall better health. And this is important. So the first 100 people to sign up for the course, 100 people only, through this podcast will get $50 off with code PODCAST. To access the course, head over to orlandodietitian.com, click shop, and then courses. So that's orlandodietitian.com. Remember, dietitian is spelled D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. I'll make sure to link it in the show notes. All right, so let's get into the episode today. So you know that we love to do little segments on the show. One of my favorite segments to do is the frequently asked question. Do you like my creative name for that? If you don't know what the frequently asked question is, it's a question we get asked frequently. And I answer it for you. I'm sorry, I'm just being smart over here. Let me entertain myself a little bit. So here is the frequently asked question of the day. I have a busy schedule, so it's easier to eat out consistently. So what are some fun but easy meals to prep in advance? So one of the ways I like to get people started on meal prepping is to just keep it simple, and I always refer to the bowl method. The bowl method is when you pair a starch, a protein, veggies, and healthy fats, and you you would visualize it like a bowl. So here's how you start. On Sunday or whatever day that you choose to meal prep, prepare a few healthy starches in advance. Quinoa, brown rice, sweet potatoes, oats, Then you're also going to prepare a few protein sources in advance. So these can be animal sources like chicken, fish, eggs, or you can even do plant-based protein sources as well, such as beans, chickpeas, and lentils. You're also going to want to stock up on veggies and prepare any as needed to add into these meals. So cherry tomatoes, greens, and carrots are really quick adds that don't take a lot of preparation. And you can also use frozen or steamed veggies because they're just as nutritious. And then of course you wanna add in a healthy fat or two to keep things tasty and well-rounded. Examples could be hummus, avocado, guacamole, cheese, olive oil, nuts, seeds, pesto. And then you can even add more things and keep them handy and stocked up to add more flavor. Hot sauce, salsa, jalapenos, balsamic vinegar, and mustard. These are all things that you can combine into a bowl and then they're pretty quick and you can mix and match some of the ingredients. I usually recommend that you pick a theme to kind of keep you on course and know what you're getting yourself into. So an example could be a Greek cuisine. So a Greek bowl could be farro with falafel, red onion, cucumber, tomatoes, feta with tahini or hummus. 
Or you could even do a fajita bowl where you take brown rice with shredded chicken and or black beans, throw in some greens, onions, peppers, avocado, and salsa, and call it a day. So those are my best tips for you if you're looking to start meal prepping. If you want more information, our blog actually has a post called Meal Prepping for One that really expands on this concept. It can be helpful if you're cooking for a small household, just you and maybe somebody else, or just yourself. So that's my, my number one tip for you guys. And that is our frequently asked question of the day. If you guys have a question that you want submitted, feel free to shoot me an email at kate at orlandodietitian.com and maybe yours will get featured on the next episode. Hey, Kate, can I jump in here on this one? Always. So I had a client this week who was like, hey, I love that bowl method. That sounds really cool, but he's not very confident in the kitchen. He's like, how do I just walk through the produce aisle and just like pick out some broccoli and feel like that's going to pair well with whatever it is that I'm making? And so I told him, don't stress out about the seasonings. Just go get a dressing from the aisle where the produce is, where it's cold, not the crappy dressings that are just in the middle of the grocery store. So your brands you want to look for, Tessa Mays, this is not an ad. These are just, <laughs> this is not an ad. Tessa Mays, I really like, Primal Kitchen, and Organic Girl. Oh, Organic Girl is my favorite one. Pick any of those. So whether it's the Caesar dressing, the ranch, the lemon balsamic vinaigrette, whatever, if it's one of those brands, it probably has a base of a good oil. Use that to marinate your chicken or your pork or whatever kind of protein you're using, and then just use that as a sauce. Everything else will come together. If you want to roast some sweet potatoes, some broccoli, some celery, like it doesn't really matter, but once it has that sauce on it, that'll make everything kind of come together. I told him, keep it simple when you're roasting the vegetables, do some pepper, some salt, maybe a little bit of garlic powder, but just use that dressing to make everything come together. Yeah, it's just an interesting way to tie it together. I've been really hooked on the Trader Joe's Green Goddess. Ooh, oh, that's a good one. So if you have a Trader one. Joe's near you, that will literally change anything that you're eating. Yeah, you don't have to be a chef in the kitchen to make these bowls. Everything kind of comes together if you've just got a good sauce. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, that is our frequently asked question for the day. So thanks, Megan, for throwing that in there. I think that is a helpful tip for anybody who is unsure how to get started. All right. I think we're ready to get into this episode. Megan, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question for our listeners. Have you ever considered that your current mood can actually affect your weight and your health? So I have clients who are doing everything right. They come to me, their nutrition is on point, they're not starving themselves, they're fueling their body well, they understand the concepts of nutrition, they've read all the nutrition books, they've listened to the podcasts, they're eating kale, (laughs) they're doing all the things. They're exercising, they've got a great exercise routine, and they come to me and they're like, I've been doing this for years, I've been doing this for months, and I am not seeing any results. What the hell is going on? And most of the time, their stress level is through the roof. And that's one of the questions that we always ask in our initial consultations is, how would you rate your stress level on a scale of one to 10? Those people, it's never at even a five or a six. It's always eight, nine, 10. There's all these things going on in their lives that are making them feel this chronic stress all the time. And when you feel that chronic stress all the time, your body is in this constant fight or flight mode where it's holding on to every possible thing that you give it because it doesn't know what's going on. It thinks that there's a tiger coming at it all the time. So stress. Did you guys know that stress is actually a survival mechanism? We tend to think stress is this negative thing all the time. We talk about stress like it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. But stress actually has kept us alive for thousands and thousands of years. The role that stress plays is, hey, if there's a tiger coming at you, you need to run away. It's going to increase those hormones that get you moving, get your adrenaline going. And then you run away, you run up the tree, the tiger goes away, blah, 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 your stress level is supposed to come down. Now the problem is today, we don't necessarily have tigers running at us anymore. (laughs) Not in the animal form. It's like we have all these predators coming at us in the form of emails and notifications and honking horns on I-4. If you live in Orlando, you know what I'm saying there. Yeah, and it never stops. Never. And, And it never stops. And we're operating at this chronic stress level, this chronic low level of stress all the time that our bodies were not meant to maintain. And that affects our digestion, it affects our mood, and it affects the way that our body processes food. Oh, yeah, it does. And, you know, another thing is if somebody is suffering from chronic stress, it can affect their weight in multiple ways. It can also affect chronic health conditions, especially somebody who's battling high blood sugars or insulin resistance. 
when we have that that flight or flight mode, our body also releases glucose that spikes our blood sugar to give us energy to run away. Our body's supposed to use that extra energy to help us move, to help us run from the predator. Well, if we're sitting in traffic and we're, you know, paying bills and answering emails, we're not actually using all that glucose that our body is secreting for energy. We're just storing it. It's not going anywhere to save us because the chronic stress we're feeling now, like you said earlier, is not coming from a tiger. It's coming from just just everyday life. I had a guy call me yesterday. He's an entrepreneur. He has three businesses. He takes very good care of himself from what he was telling me, and yet his blood pressure is through the roof. Mm. And that's the only thing that he can point to. Is it's It's got to be the job. It's got to be the lifestyle. He also said he was sponsored by Red Bull, so I told him that probably <laughs> no <laughs> comment. To the fact that his office has unlimited amounts of Red Bull, um, but but yeah, it, it stress can play a huge role in your health and have effects on everything from your markers of chronic disease to your weight. Right. So you know, if you're questioning, you know, if you're hearing all these things and you're starting to make connections to your own life, wondering. Does stress play a role in your inability to lose weight or manage your weight? I mean, if you're questioning it, it probably is. So ask yourself, do you eat in an ideal state of digestion? Could you be eating the healthiest food in the universe, but are you eating in a stressful state that's keeping you from getting to your goals, just like the clients that that we work with sometimes? Yeah, I think this is a really powerful question when we, we say like, okay, so let's not just look at the food that you're eating, but look at the state that you're eating that food in. So do you have this amazing kale salad with avocado and chicken and tomatoes and all these wonderful things in it, but are you eating it in your car and you have five minutes to shove it down your throat before you have to jump on another call or answer another email? Your body is going to digest that food much differently than if you were sitting at home at a table able to take your time. And not only does that affect your digestion, but it affects your satisfaction level with that food too. I'm sure we've all sat in front of our computer doing emails, doing work, and you have a bag of, I don't know, almonds in front of you or chips in front of you or cookies in front of you, and then all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the bag and you didn't even realize that you were ever close to the bottom of that bag, and then you look up and you're like, I'm still hungry. Like, what else can I go get from the pantry right now? But if you had just sat down without the TV on, without the computer in front of you, with that entire bag of chips no distractions, you probably wouldn't have gotten close to eating that. I am thinking of specific times in my life where the exact thing happened. I'll never forget one time I was working on an assignment in college and I had bought a bag of Skinny Pop. And I kid you not, I had eaten the whole thing and felt nothing. I was like, am I a monster? Like, how could I How could I consume all this popcorn and feel nothing? But it's so true. And when I used to work in an office environment... I remember we worked in this little office, and Megan, you used to work here too, you know, back in the day, there were no windows, there was just a small room with a bunch of people on computers, and I made it a point to go sit outside and eat my food, even if I only had 20 or 30 minutes to take a break, because I was not going to feel good about myself if I sat there in front of my computer and shoved down food and didn't actually get to enjoy this meal that I, you know, slaved over to be dramatic, but, you know, packing a healthy lunch... I don't want, I want to sit down and enjoy it. I want to feel good after I eat it. And I want to take my break and take the time that I need to help re-energize myself and feel better. And that's a test that everybody can do. You can, if you're packing your lunch and you have something that you think is very nutritionally adequate and you sit there and you eat it in front of your computer or you eat it over a meeting or something where you're distracted, I want you to do that and then journal afterwards. Like, how did that feel? Did you want a cookie afterwards? Did you want to hit the vending machine afterwards? Did you want to go get a coffee because you didn't feel full? Next time, bring that exact same meal shut the computer down and just focus on that food and see how differently you feel. And I think one of the things I tell my clients to do, and it's hard to get in this habit or this routine, but start a note in your phone, start a notebook that you keep with you where you're kind of writing down this, I call it a food and mood journal. And I think I got this from somebody. I'm not claiming to have made that up. But instead of writing down like, oh, I had a half a cup of chicken and one ounce of cheese and blah, 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 that's not what it's about. It's about 
the who, what, when, and where of the food. Like, where were you when you were eating this food? Were you in a, in a state of high stress or were you not stressed? Were you in a state of panic and hurry or anxiety? And how did that make you feel when you were eating that food? And then how did you feel afterwards? Did you then feel overly full? Did you feel satisfied? Or did you want to go get something else afterwards? And that can really make you a lot more intentional when you realize, I need to be thinking about these things every single time I eat. It's not just, let me shove this food in my face. As long as it's healthy, it's no big deal. That's actually not true. Yeah, absolutely. And that can be parallel for anybody else who's dealing with other types of emotional eating. You know, whether it's from a stressful state, whether it's from feeling lonely or from feeling bored, it's the same that mood and food journal is the same concept that can be applied to different types of moods because you might be stress eating, but you also might be stress eating when you feel lonely or you might be stress eating when you feel other types of emotions that aren't just involved with the day-to-day hustle and bustle. Another key point that I want to bring up is don't journal while you're eating. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Good point. Good I point. definitely had Good to point. do this for myself and I found that I'm just, you know, my mind is always moving a million miles per minute and I wanted to be eating and multitasking at the same time. So that takes away from the purpose. Wait until after you've put your your meal away to journal on your phone or on your paper, whatever it might be. I always think pen to paper is more effective because it really helps you get with your your thoughts there. But if all you've got is your phone, keep it down, keep it face down on the table until you've finished eating. I also think another really helpful tip to help you be more mindful with your meals is to eat with other people when possible. I know this isn't always the case depending on your situation, but I find that with myself and with clients, when we're able to make mealtime more of a social event and you're talking and you're engaging, then you just tend to eat slower, the experience is more satisfactory, and you just don't rush through things like you normally would when you're by yourself. Yeah, I agree. Um, Let's talk about some strategies that people can use that like it's not possible for them to leave their office or leave their cubicle for lunch it's you know they have to sit there and they're not able to get out and they're not able to leave I think for me sometimes I don't do a good job of scheduling a lunch for myself and I have people coming in like within 15 minute intervals and I look at my day and I'm like oh I I don't have a lunch break today (laughs) what am I gonna do so what I'll do is just I can't get out so I'll sit at my desk I will shut my computer and it's weird to me to be within four walls and not really have anything to look at because we're just people that crave multiple sensory inputs all the time so I will just turn on music or turn on a podcast that is a story I'm not going to turn on a podcast that's like how do you take your business from zero dollars to a million and like all these things I need to write down and do and how to market my course and blah 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 it's just going to be a story that's easy to listen to or music that's easy to listen to while I'm eating my meal. Maybe it's only 10 minutes and that's fine. That's enough time for me to get something down and move on to the next client. But just that short window of time makes a huge difference to just commit to eating that meal. Yeah, absolutely. Start to notice the things that typically would distract you. So if you're used to eating lunch and answering emails, start with a baby step by closing your email, shutting down your computer, just it's sometimes it's uncomfortable to sit there in silence or sit there with something that isn't going to stimulate you the whole time but that actually works to your advantage because not only do you get to spend some precious time by yourself that we don't always get to have every single day in modern society but it also helps you focus on your food and enjoy it i mean especially if you took the time to put together something really delicious and healthy you get to actually savor okay this is how it tastes this is how i feel while i'm eating it i am nourishing myself and doing it slowly and surely gives you that satisfactory feeling i mean if you look at other cultures and the way they eat they would never sit in front of a screen and eat. That's just absurd. Meal time is a time to nourish yourself and appreciate your food. And it sounds a little bit woo-woo, and I know it when I say it. I'm like, oh, you know, it sounds all good and grand, but if you really take the time to try it and implement it, you will feel a different appreciation for your food that you might have been missing out on if you've been eating in a hurry just to get other things done. If you're really serious about your health, you should prioritize these times to feed yourself, just like you would prioritize answering emails or prioritize any other thing that's causing you stress in your life. That reminds me of one of my clients recently where we were trying to implement a not eat in bed or not eat in front of the TV rule. And I told her that the only time she's allowed to eat is if she's sitting at 
her table. And that made her very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And she said, I I just, I feel really uncomfortable sitting at my table eating. And so what else can I do? She's like asking for a way to get around this goal. And I was like, I think we need to double down on this then and really dive deep into that uncomfortable feeling to ask yourself, why does that make you feel uncomfortable? Have we never really uncovered the, you know, this relationship that you have with food that you need to constantly distract yourself and not think about what you're eating or why you're eating it? I think we need to really, really say, all right, what are these uncomfortable feelings coming from and how do we get past them? Because just like in any kind of therapy, if you're just blocking it out and pushing it down, eventually it's going to bubble up or it's bubbling up in other places that you don't necessarily think that's the reason for. But I think with anything, we really need to dive into those feelings if you're having feelings like that and you feel like you constantly have to distract yourself instead of looking at what you're eating. Yeah, absolutely. And whether it's related to the stress you feel about what you're eating or feeling about nutrition or whether it's something that's making you anxious that's totally not even related to food. If it's something else in your life, if it's your relationship with your family, your friends, yourself, if it's something, if you're using eating in front of the TV as an escape from something else in your life, it's going to not only give you negative side effects or give you negative consequences in that sense, but also with your health goals. It's just kind of like the, it's just doing two evils at one time. So it's uncomfortable, but progress comes when we make ourselves uncomfortable. Growth happens when you put yourself in uncomfortable positions, and soon they become less uncomfortable, they come become more normal. And you know, that kind of reminds me of, of something else that that I wanted to hit on is when we create rules for ourselves when it comes to eating, we want to be strategic about the rules that we're creating. So creating a rule of sitting in front of the table instead of eating in front of the TV is a goal that, yeah, might make us feel uncomfortable but it's not necessarily going to stress us out. If we start to create food rules about don't eat this and don't eat after this time, well, not necessarily that, but don't eat. It has to be organic, has to be keto, has to be paleo, has to come from the farmer named Sam Smith down the street that was only two miles. Anything further than two miles is not local. Hey, are you hating on that farmer? I love Sam Smith. He's a good guy. Sam Smith the farmer, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So it's in, if you create really absurd rules, well, it's almost inevitable that sometimes you're going to break them. And if you hold yourself to weird standards like that, well, if you break the rules that's going to also provoke a stress response after you eat so it's kind of counterintuitive so be strategic about the rules that you're creating for yourself they should be ones that are going to not make you 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 don't want to do too many at one time and they should be something that's going to get you close to your goals that help you feel more relaxed about eating not something that makes you lose sleep right exactly Uh, and I had a client who was asking me about, all right, so every Friday night, me and my guy friends, we go out and we always want to try a new restaurant somewhere around Orlando. And usually that leads to one or two cocktails and trying new foods. We kind of all order different things and just share. And I'm like, that's awesome. That That's a really cool routine that you have every week. And he looks forward to it every single week. And so he was asking me like, all right, how do I strategize about getting less calories in? And, you know, if they're wanting to order appetizers, like how do I say no to those? And how do I make sure that I'm not drinking this cocktail with this much sugar in it and blah, blah, blah. And actually, I surprised him with this answer by saying, like, let's not use that time to stress about those things. Because your whole purpose of this, because he's a very high-stress guy, the whole purpose of that Friday night outing is that he gets to de-stress. Like, he's, you know, he again, he's a business owner. He's got a family. He's got a lot going on. That is his time to let go release, relax, have fun. And I don't want him to necessarily have a bunch of food rules surrounding that time because then I think that time is just more stress where he has to think about like, is this 200 calories or is this 700 calories? I don't really know. I want him just to relax during that time. And that relaxation will actually affect his digestion. So if he's super stressed about the food that he's eating, so for example, if you're like, oh my gosh, mushrooms, like, oh, I'm so stressed about mushrooms or whatever food it is, that's going to affect the way that your body breaks those things down. And like you said, that may sound woo-woo and there's not a whole lot of research out there surrounding it, but trust me, after working with hundreds and hundreds of clients, I know that that is a fact and the way that you feel is affected by how your body's going to break down that food. Totally, totally. And if you're always holding yourself to this really strict stress, you know, standard when it comes to those times when you should be enjoying your food and you're restricting and you're stressing, 
well, eventually you're, you're going to break and you're going to overeat something else later that's going to make you stress even more. And it's just kind of one of those vicious cycles. So, you know, if you do have those times where you know you're going to be out with your friends or with your family or enjoying life, don't use that time to stress about food. And I think those indulgent times can actually help to keep you on track more than not. Because if you tell yourself, like, no, I can never, ever, ever eat carbs, yeah, you're going to want to eat carbs. (laughs) But at least for me, I want chocolate every day. Every single day, I need something chocolate. So whether it's an RX bar at 3 o'clock or whether it's a cup, like a handful of chocolate chips after dinner or a Yasso frozen yogurt bar, like something, I'm going to need chocolate in my day every day. So I accept that. I'm not going to say, Megan, you can never eat chocolate again because that's going to be hell Mm -hmm. for me. So instead, I work that into my plan. Same thing with him. He's going out to happy hour every single Friday. You work that into your plan. If you crave tacos all week, like go have tacos on Friday. Get rid of that craving. Indulge. Go do it. And then instead of every single day being like, oh my god, I want chocolate, I want chocolate, I want chocolate, I'm going to eat an entire chocolate cheesecake, I have a little bit every day. So it never gets, that craving never gets out of control. Exactly. You know, I, I think a lot of us who have been mindful about nutrition in our life have gone through phases where we feel like we need to be really super disciplined 100% of the time on our game. So we set all these restrictions with our food. Don't let yourself have dessert on the weekdays. Never let yourself have any sugar Monday through Friday or whatever it is. But we're human and willpower depends on our energy that day. Willpower is never going, it it runs out. So if you are constantly trying to restrict yourself on those things during the week and you put these stressful rules on yourself, when you do break them, well, then you're going to have that stress response. When you do let yourself have chocolate, which is most likely going to be in way larger amounts than you really need because you've been restricting, well, then you're going to feel that guilt and that guilt makes you feel stress and so on and so on. So breaking that cycle really will, will benefit you in more ways than one. Let's talk about the stress that we can cause ourselves when we start to put too many rules mm. into either, you know, our exercise routine or our dieting habits. Like, what happens when we put too many rules on It's ourselves? overwhelming. It's overwhelming <laughs> when you put too many rules. I yes. Mean, if- when you're trying to get that result very quickly, it's it's really... I guess the first thing you think of is like, I need to change 95 things right now because I need to lose 10 pounds in the next 10 days because I'm going on a cruise. Mm -hmm. What happens? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't last very long. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you might be able to get somewhere in a short amount of time, but just like we were talking about before, it's hard. You you can't juggle 12 things at one time. I mean, I, I... I'm not thinking of like super high class experienced clowns here that maybe can juggle 12 <laughs> things at sometimes, but most of us can't do that. I mean, you have a really good analogy for it. You said you don't want to have a baby, buy a house, get a dog, and move across the country all at once. So the same applies to any kind of health goals. I mean, yeah, you might need to, you might know that you need to sleep more and make better eating choices and start exercising and reduce your stress. But if you focus on all four of those things individually at one time, you're going to feel like you're drowning. Yeah, for some reason, we're really, really conditioned to think that fast is always best. Mm -hmm. Like, fast is better than slow. It's not better than slow, especially when it comes to any kind of lifestyle or health change. For the people that come in to me and they're like, I want to change all these things, and then I have them kind of take a step back, here's maybe three things that we're going to focus on. And then they come in the next time and they're like, I was only able to get one of these things done. I felt like I shouldn't even come back for this follow-up because I'm only doing one of these things. I haven't even started on the other two. Cool. That's normal. That's that's completely normal. Okay, now we can focus on the other two because you've got this one down. And now that it's down, it's down for the long haul. Like, you've got it. It's a habit. Let's continue to work on it. And now let's add these other things to it. Don't feel bad that you only got one thing made into a habit for right now because we don't have to do all 75 at once. This is your life. Like, hopefully your life's not going to end very quickly. You know what I mean? Like you've got your whole life to do these things. So don't feel like you have to do all 95 things at once. Fast is not always better, especially when it comes to this nutrition and health thing, which is why a lot of these fad diets, like if you're looking at this diet as, is this something that I should try? Ask yourself, how different is it from what I'm currently doing? And if it's vastly different and you have to change everything, I would say that's probably not going to last any longer than 30 days. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And like you said, even if somebody changes one thing, that's one huge change. Strategically, you can pick to change things that are going to have a bigger impact. So looking at the things in your life that you do want to improve, well, talk to a dietitian, talk to one of us and figure out, okay, which thing is going to help me in more ways than just one? And focus on that one thing, keeping the other ones in mind, but really giving your attention to making one new habit. And it's important to know that, yeah, these things are slow. We're really deeply conditioned to have certain eating and lifestyle habits, some that we're not even aware of. But some of these conditioning, some of this conditioning starts from childhood or adolescence. And we can't completely rid, replace, or reverse all of these things at once. They take time because Food habits, eating habits, lifestyle habits, they're part of us. The things that we do, our thoughts, they're part of us. They're not things we can just snap our fingers and change overnight. And that's why that restrictive all or nothing, do this starting Monday, make all these changing, it's typically unsuccessful for most people. Hey, real quick, I hope you are enjoying this episode as much as I am. I wanted to share something for you if you feel like you struggle with emotional eating, meaning you turn to food every single time you feel sad or bored, depressed, anxious, or lonely. Emotional eating can really get in the way of not only your weight loss goals or your aesthetic goals, but get in the way with your quality of life. If you're constantly feeling like you have to turn to food to feel better and then you feel guilt or shame after eating, well, it's really hard to just feel relaxed around food or feel relaxed and normal around situations and social get-togethers where there's food. It's kind of like a weight on your shoulders every single time you go somewhere because you feel anxious around the food or you turn to eat because you feel anxious or you're constantly wondering what other people are thinking of you when you're eating or what they're eating. Like food becomes your life. That's a big sign of emotional eating and a lot of people don't realize this. So I created an emotional eating quiz for you to take. If you go to go.orlandodietitian.com backslash emotional eating, you can take the emotional eating quiz to see if you exhibit signs of emotional eating. Now I want to say there's a major difference between digging into a pint of Ben and Jerry's the night you get dumped and inhaling a half gallon of sherbet over the kitchen sink just because you're feeling lonely. One is just, you know, a situational issue, but if it becomes a consistent habit in your life where you're constantly eating copious amounts of food to deal with other issues, it's going to get in the way of your health. And it's perfectly normal and okay to turn to food when something really shitty or maybe something really awesome happens, but it's not okay to turn to food every single time you feel a heightened emotion. After all, feelings are fickle and they constantly change. So self-awareness of your eating habits is the first step to recovery and developing a normal relationship with food, a healthy relationship with food. So take the emotional eating quiz at go.orlandodietitian.com backslash emotional eating to help you better understand if you exhibit the symptoms of an emotional eater. This way you can start your recovery journey. And so these deeply ingrained eating habits, they follow us through our lives and the emotions and feelings we deal with often change and continue to add up. That's why it's really important to start to notice places in your life that feel heavy and feel burdensome. Ooh, yeah, I like that. What in your life makes you feel heavy? Is it relationships? Is it your relationship with food? Is it your relationship with other people? Is it that your sister is always on you and talking about your weight and that makes you feel heavy? What are the things in your life that you need to cut out and so you don't feel that way? And in that same breath, what are the things that make you feel light and airy and happy and how do you get more of those things? Where if you might think this has nothing to do with nutrition or your weight, it has so much to do with it because if we can get you feeling lighter every single day, guess what? that's going to help you along the way to make these changes because now you're respecting your body and you're loving yourself instead of hating yourself and feeling guilty throughout this process. I just love the way you explained that. I had a client here the other day and I think I kind of caught her off guard because she was talking to me about some of these things that she carried around with her that made her feel like she needed to emotionally eat and she felt like she was binge eating because she was feeling all these things that were stressing her out and I asked her, 
What in your life makes you feel joy? When do you feel the most beautiful? When do you feel like singing and dancing? And she told me literally when she's singing in her car. And I was like, do those things every (laughs) single day. Give yourself a chance to feel joy and give yourself a chance to feel self-compassion, self-forgiveness for feeling these things. Because it's normal to have emotions. It's It's normal to carry these burdens on your shoulders. But give yourself a chance to lighten up, like you said. Uh, yeah, I've asked people that question before, you know, a Marie Kondo style, what brings you joy? <laughs> and they don't know. Yeah. And they don't, because they've never thought about it. No one's ever asked them that question. When's the last time you've asked yourself that? Probably never. So really sit down and another journaling thing is like, ask yourself, what really truly brings me joy, makes me feel light, makes me feel happy? And write some of those things down, and we need to bring more of those things into our lives every single day, every single week, and you need to schedule it in just like you would your workout. I love that. And Megan, can I ask you, what what sparks joy for you? (laughs) Honestly, like being outside, getting into the sunshine, that was one of the reasons I wanted to move down south from the Midwest, because I realized that in those long winter months when you wake up in the morning and it's dark outside and by the time you get home it's dark outside I would get depressed yeah you need that vitamin D yeah and that's what that's what made me get into running that was my the time of my life when I was doing marathons because it really made me get outside and get some air even in the winter months and so moving south was definitely a good thing for me because now you know I you can be outside all the time it's it's sunny all the time so I know that's something that brings me joy my new puppy (laughs) I mean there's nothing better than getting home and your dog being so excited he's like whining and crying and it's like the best feeling ever that he loves you so much like that to feel wanted (laughs) yeah 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 that's amazing like something adorable (laughs) yep exactly doing hard things being challenged actually makes me feel joy or makes me feel happy like going to a CrossFit workout that I absolutely hate and I don't want to do 150 burpees, but once I go and I'm done with that and I'm like, look, you just did 150 burpees in 15 minutes or whatever it was, that brings that drive home brings me joy. <laughs> Can I get real Tony Robbins on here? Heck yeah. I do this all the time. So the what you just said is, okay, yeah, I go and do these hard things, but they make me feel so good. They make me feel happy. Well, one of the things that Tony Robbins always talks about and things that I talk a lot about in in that virtual weight loss group that I do is let's start linking things that we normally would perceive as painful as being awesome. So if you, one girl in our uh, module last week said she always linked eating healthfully to being boring and drab and she was like, I hate eating healthy, it never tastes good. But then she started to change her mindset about it. She started to change her beliefs once she started to let herself try new ways to eat healthy food. So we had talked in depth about different ways to make eating healthy fun. And so she started to make it, she started to put that link together like, oh, this thing that I normally found is tedious and a pain in the ass is actually awesome and I love it and it actually makes me feel great. So she started to make this neurological connection of, Okay, this thing that used to suck actually rocks my world. Yeah, and that's a lot of a lot of what I try to do with exercise for mm-hmm. people too. Is I ask them like, what has exercise always felt like to you? Has it felt like a chore? Has it felt like something you've been forced to do? Does it just remind you of having to do push-ups in gym class or not getting mm-hmm. picked for the kickball team? Like, is that are those the feelings that you conjure up when you think about exercise? And how do we get you to go out and do? It's like, oh, did you enjoy rollerblading as a kid? Like that was your favorite thing, and you have a positive connotation to. That that? Well, how do we relate that to you getting physically active now? Well, it's crazy because things like that almost always seem to root from childhood. Yes. I mean, when you ask people things like that, it's always something that their parents said or something that happened to them at school of why they think the way they do. So going back into those old thoughts and those old, you know, perceived connotations you have with certain ideas and rewriting them for yourself to be more positive. I mean, and this can apply in all areas of your life, whether it's fitness, eating healthy, whether it's finances, whether it's the way you think about yourself. I mean, dive into your own preconceived notions about exercise or eating healthy or weight loss and rewrite the story for yourself. And I think we're getting on a tangent here. We're getting real deep. Well, but yeah, true, I mean, I mean, you can make things better. I think some of the best the best conversations that I've had with clients when we've kind of hit a wall is when we start to get into that that family dynamic of asking like what was your mom's relationship with food like as you were growing up what was your father's relationship with food like did they never put a second thought into it or was your mom dieting all the time like what did you grow up with and how has that shaped 
your beliefs today because it's not something that you necessarily think may make a big difference but once we can get into that and you really try and conjure up those thoughts of yeah what did what did I grow up with yeah and a lot of I had a client the other day who we got into this conversation and she shared with me about how her mother never made comments per se to her but made them to her sister and so she would watch her sister get bullied by her family about how she was eating and she's carried these observations with her through life and so she reflects them on her own self now. She thinks about when she makes food choices, she thinks, oh, what if my sister did these sort of things and what would my mom say about that? And it's so interesting because it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be something that we personally were, I don't wanna say attacked, but attacked by, but something that we witnessed or something that we observed. I know that when I was growing up, I I had an amazing grandma. She always had the best intentions, but I can vividly remember her making comments about what a good eater I was and how I always ate large portions and she was always (laughs) gasping at how I could eat as much as I could. And as a kid, I was like, is this bad? Yeah. Like, am, I, am I not doing this the right way? Should totally. I be eating less? Because I'm a female and females should eat less. Mm-hmm. And I've had that before where the brother always got a second helping, but the sister wasn't allowed to get the second helping. And mm-hmm. so once she moved out of the house, guess how many helpings she was having? More than two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it, she wasn't judged at that point. Yeah. It, it's really it's really great when people start to think back because we forget about those kinds of things. And that's going back to the whole idea that our eating habits and the way we feel and think about food aren't just, okay, eat better, eat healthy. It's how have we had this relationship with food? How have we been fostering this relationship with our eating our whole life? That's why you can look at some people who just seemingly effortlessly can say no when they're full or they can walk away from something and not feel deprived, but then sometimes they eat something you you can't believe they're eating because of the way they look, and it's no big deal. It's, their, it's deep ingrained relationships with food that make people behave a certain way, and they're not our destiny. So if you are listening to this and you're starting to think back on things that happened to you growing up or in early adolescence, they're not... They're not your destiny. You have the power to change them. You have the power to rewrite your story and your beliefs about food and your relationship with food and the power that food may have over you. Okay, Kate, let's leave the people with some practical tips here. Mm. So um, how do we improve our relationship or our feelings surrounding our food and mood or how do we love ourselves along the way? Well, first, I think the, the first thing you should do to start to love yourself along the way is understand that you're not the only one dealing with these things. You're not alone. Other people are struggling with emotional eating or stress eating or less than ideal relationships with food and granting yourself permission to feel the way you feel. You're not alone. You're not an alien. There's other people out there who feel this too, who have overcome it. So just understanding and coming to terms with yourself that it's okay that you feel this way. Permission to feel emotions. That was something that I, I just talked to a mental a mental health counselor about this, and she said it's a big thing that she works on people, works on with people in her practice is you're not a terrible person because you feel this certain way. So relating it back to something common, like if someone passes away and you lose someone and you feel sadness, that is a normal human emotion to feel in that situation. If you have to move away and you're leaving all of your friends, sadness, normal emotion to feel. No one would judge you for that. But in certain situations like, I don't know, eating food, if you feel happy about eating a whole chocolate cake, you make yourself feel guilty. I am a bad person because I feel happy about eating this cake or I am a bad person because I feel this or that. But just allowing yourself, it's not the emotion that you can control, it's how you react Mm -hmm. to that emotion that you can control and change. So you feel the emotion, notice that you feel the emotion, don't make yourself feel like a terrible person because you're feeling that certain emotion, but how are you then going to react to that emotion once it's in your system? I think a good strategy for that is going back to thinking, how would a kid react? How would a kid react if they ate a whole chocolate cake? They'd probably be like, oh my God, (laughs) they might feel really crummy later. And that's when their parents can say, okay, see how you felt after (laughs) eating that whole chocolate cake. But in the moment, they're going to feel like, you know, the baddest kindergartner. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So thinking, going back to a kid and, and realizing that somewhere throughout our lives, we attached meaning to these actions and beliefs. We attached a story to overeating a cake. 
cake. And now we know that overeating a cake is not healthy. It's not gonna, it's not going to make you feel very good, but we attach the association of guilt and negative feelings. That didn't just come with the cake. That's it's not a BOGO deal there. Yeah, so you feel that guilt, okay, you recognize that guilt. Now how do you react to that guilt? Do you go now grab a bag of chips? Do you go grab something else to try to distract you and then you feel even more guilty? Or you say, okay, I recognize here that I feel guilt. Let me journal about this. And so then I can go back and say, hey, remember that last time where you overindulged and you felt guilt afterwards? Do you want to feel that way again? Do you do you want to cause that emotion again? Or what are the steps that you can take to prevent you from feeling that way? Absolutely. And like we were talking about earlier, if you start to feel guilt because you're constantly breaking food rules you set for yourself, stop setting ridiculous food rules. You know, if tracking calories to the T or weighing yourself every single day makes you feel guilty, if it makes you feel negative, stressed, anxious, quit. Identify those behaviors that make you feel bad about yourself and stop doing them. Take a new approach to managing your weight. You don't have to necessarily track every single calorie and morsel of food that goes into your mouth if it makes you feel bad about yourself. For some people, it makes them feel motivated, it makes them feel empowered, it makes them feel in control and all positive feelings. For other people, it just makes them feel stressed, anxious, and and just does not do them any favors. That's why nutrition is an individualized science. (laughs) Plug. (laughs) And you know, another, in a similar vein there, try to let go of perfection. Like we were talking about earlier, when you go out and you have those times with your friends and family, when you're supposed to de-stress, enjoy food. Enjoy food, you know, be mindful when you're supposed to be mindful but that 20% of the time, enjoy food. Don't, you're not perfect. You shouldn't be perfect. We're not perfect. I don't know any perfect people. Don't feel shame or guilt for enjoying time out with friends. That's a way to show yourself self-love. Food should be enjoyed. We shouldn't walk through life eating chicken and broccoli and brown rice for every meal because there's there's a physiological part of satisfaction when it comes to food and that's getting all the right macronutrients and micronutrients and there is that physiological satisfaction, but there's also the mental satisfaction where, yeah, you might be getting all the right nutrients with the chicken and broccoli and brown rice and avocado, like, sure, super healthy, getting the right nutrients. But if you're eating that four times a day for the next 30 days, you're not gonna get that mental satisfaction. And that mental satisfaction is super important for making whatever you're doing sustainable. Yep, absolutely. So one more tip for self-love, self-love um, would be to, I mean, this one I feel like is a little bit oversaid, but sometimes I think those cliche <laughs> tips are like the most important ones. Those are the ones we don't think, we're like, oh yeah, I heard that before. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to take that one in. Like, we're no, numb take it. it in, take it in. <laughs> All right, everyone, take this one in mindfully. Take it in how you're going to eat your lunch from now on, which is slowly and mindfully. <laughs> With your <computer> <laughs> <shut>. <laughs> <But> Yes, everyone, <laughs> pull over the car if you're driving and, and chew on this one, all right? Eat when you're hungry and stop eating when you're full. And we hear that all the time. We're like, yeah, but but think about how all of these strategies we talked about are really going to help you implement this into your life. And this is part of self-love. And, you know, when you're you're journaling your food and your mood, feeling overly full after woofing down a meal really quickly when you weren't even that hungry to begin with or you weren't really having a certain inkling for a food doesn't make you feel awesome. That's not really showing your body love and respect that it deserves. Be mindful of those things, journal them, and reflect and take action next time. Next time you get that inkling to eat while you're walking and or just grab something really quickly and shove it down and even though you, you didn't really want it it's just kind of a habit for you be mindful of those things and understand how it makes you feel tune into those signals so while that sounds like a very easy thing eat when you're hungry stop eating when you're full yeah duh that's simple it's not when you're not paying attention and so within that kind of mantra you have to pay attention to know whether you feel hungry or know whether you feel full. So that automatically makes you tune into the food that you have in front of you. Yeah, and it's, like we said, it's not. It's easier said than done. It takes practice. You're not all of a sudden gonna do it one time and then you're good to go forever. If you're not used to being mindful about how you eat, it's something you're gonna have to practice every single time you eat. And that slow, gradual change is the lasting change that you want. So Rome wasn't built in a day your eating habits aren't going to change in a day either. Well, I think we killed this. I think we killed it. I hope so. I hope <laughs> so. I hope that you guys really found this interesting and this really sparks a conversation within yourself or maybe with your friends and family. 
If you know somebody that really needs to hear this message, share our podcast with them. I mean, this is a good conversation. This is something that I feel like should be talked about more in the nutrition and food realm. So often we open up our phones and we open up a headline or Instagram and we see the latest diet trend, but no one stops and and looks at the relationship between your mind and your nutrition and your body and your food. It's always, all right, now you need to eat this and not this and stop doing this and blah, 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 blah. Cut this out. Cut that out. Yeah, and that's it's got its role, but we need to look at the big picture. We need to look at the big picture. And if you guys really want to talk more about your own struggles with food and you want to find solutions, we're here for you. This is what we do. This is what we love to talk about. So feel free to contact one of us to see if we're a good fit for you guys because We want to help you have a good relationship with food. We want you to reach your goals in a way that seems effortless, in a way that doesn't make you feel like you're deprived, doesn't make you feel like you're restricted. It's got to be something that enhances your life instead of takes away from your life. So, Megan, any last words while we wrap this bitch up? (laughs) I would say just, just keep in mind that this is the hard stuff. This is not something that you come in and see a dietitian for one session and it's all cleared up or that you have a conversation with your spouse about and, oh yeah, I'm clearing up all these feelings that I have surrounding food. This is something that you might have to work on for months, for years, throughout the rest of your life. These concepts, you have to keep reiterating them. You have to keep practicing them. This isn't meant to be something easy. And a lot of times people come into us and they think like, okay, if you just hand me a meal plan, I'll just eat this way and everything will be fixed. And that's not what gets fixed. It's it's once we get into these mood and these feelings surrounding food and we really dig deep that we can fix the issues that you've been having for your entire life. But by just handing you a meal plan and saying, hey, eat this way, that doesn't actually fix any of these underlying issues that you are going to be dealing with unless you choose to make the effort yeah, to change them. Absolutely. You're not a robot. You don't need a meal plan. You need to plan I was about to get deep and then I couldn't get there. The point is, you're not a robot. We're not going to give you a meal plan. That's yeah. that. Okay. Let's do let's do the hard work together. Uh, I like that. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. We will catch you on the flip side. Later. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. For topic requests or to apply to be a featured guest, please email kate at orlandodietitian.com. Want more nutrition awareness? Check out our blog for recipes, nutrition tips and tricks, as well as product recommendations. Our website is www.orlandodietitian.com. Dietitian is spelled D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. This has been Dietitian Kate, and until next time, keep it real 